0: You can be seated. It's on the radio, it's on the TV, it's everywhere you go. Christmas is here, right? And, uh, and Christmas is here, too. Uh, we're doing a Christmas series. I'm glad you're here for it. And uh, we're exploring over the course of this, um, this crazy, wonderful, incredible thing that God did these wonderful moments are things that you can remember They usually stick in your mind. I have a few of those, although I can 't recall any of the details. I can recall the big stuff. I can recall how I felt so i I can remember when um, our kids were born and how shocked and amazed I was at what was going on and I just thought i can 't believe I have so much to do with this, right? And then you would talk with your wife later and find out that one day out of nine months doesn't mean you were a 50-50 partner in the whole process, which I thought was a little odd, right? But um, so I was like, man, this is incredible. Most of those kind of wonderful moments um, that happen with kids are in the rearview mirror, but we're starting to see some of those with our grandson, too. And they're, they're just these moments that you just cherish. And so maybe that was enough. Maybe that was enough of a reason for God to send Jesus as a baby, that it would be crazy, it would be incredible, it would be wonderful for that to happen. But as precious as a baby is, it's also helpless, it's also dependent. As wonderful as the idea is, that baby is fragile. It's relying on you for everything. Why would God handcuff himself in flesh and blood, in time and space, when it was outside of who he was, why would he come as a baby? I'm not sure that that question is, is big enough. I think it's why we've chosen the series title from a song that had uh, that same kind of wonderment as they looked into the manger and wondered, what kind of child is this? And they were asking the question, what's the nature of this baby? What's the purpose of this baby? What big things are going to be changed because of? of this baby. That's what we want to talk about. Uh, Mike started us off last week. I'm going to carry this for the next few weeks, and what we've decided to do is look at different sections of scripture outside of the Christmas story where it talks about the very nature, the very purpose for Jesus, that baby that was come. Some of them very specifically talk about the child. Some of them are just about the very nature of who he was, which is the section of scripture I'm going to take you to today. Uh, It's uh, something that Paul wrote to a group. And as I got into it, I realized, man, uh, this this is really complex and it's deep. I probably could spend a whole series in this book. Because some of the stuff that Paul says, it's odd. It seems strange that he would even say it. But he's saying it because there's something specifically going on in that community at that time. And he's addressing it. And in fact, um, what I concluded was if you don't understand what's happening in that community at the time when he says these things, you could miss out on how significant that was. You can miss out on the kind of nature of Jesus that he was talking about. And so that, that's what I'm going to try to do. I want to at least give you that background. We're going to go through it real fast. We could take a long time on this, but we won't. We'll just give you some background. There were a group of Christians in this Roman town that were influenced by the Greek thinking. And they had concluded that Paul's teaching about Jesus was just too simple. It's too simple. For you to say, God's going to forgive you for your sins. He died for you. He came back. All you have to do is accept that gift, and you can enter into a new life. So it's too simple. We live in a complex society where there's a lot of philosophies. Ours should be more complicated than that. Our belief system should be more complicated than that. And so they started adding things to this belief system of what Paul taught. They called themselves Gnostics. And and they were convinced that if they could get people to have this more intellectual, more sophisticated belief system, they would be better off. And so they presented all of this stuff, and it started to have sway on the people there. And they started to become confused about what Paul had taught. And so Paul decides to write this letter to them to help clarify some things. But for it to make sense, you have to understand some of the things That the Gnostics were teaching. So I wanna do that real quick. I'm gonna give you four. There are other things that they um, taught, but I'm gonna give you four big ones that make sense and will make sense in light of what Paul is about to say. Okay? So the Gnostics um, had um, these four things, again, more, but they started with this one. They said, All of matter is evil. If it's made of something, then it's evil. It doesn't matter where it is, heaven, earth, evil. If it's made of matter, it's evil. The only thing that could be good is of spirit, which would make sense, which would make sense for the Jews who believe, based on Genesis 1 verse 2, that God was spirit. So they would have have connected with this idea. So they would have said, listen, all matter is evil. But then they went a step further and said, everything that's been created has been created of matter and is evil. So the only thing that's good is God who's in a spirit world, but everything that's been created was created out of something, and it's evil, it's no good. And if you took that down to the micro level, you would, you would run right into their third idea. Your body is evil because it's made of matter. So this is why you have problems in life. You're made of matter, it's evil. it caused you to do things, think things, act in certain ways that maybe you don't want to. But because you're kind of trapped in the shell, you have this problem. Now all three of these big ideas and there's a fourth one we'll talk about in a little bit would have had problems with what Paul taught about Jesus, Because Paul taught that Jesus walked with his disciples. And this would have been a real problem because Jesus can't have a physical body because that body would be evil. And so the Noxics came up with these kind of workarounds. They said, if the disciples were walking with Jesus on a beach and you look behind you, you would see your footprints. But where Jesus was, there would be no footprints because he was a spirit. He was like a hologram who was moving through life. He looked like a body, but he wasn't. And they said this goes even further. When Jesus gets hung on the cross, that's not real blood, that's not real pain and suffering. That was an image. Again, the hologram went through that, but he's a spirit, so there was no pain, there was no suffering. This was just part of the way they taught. Now, here's the problem. Uh, Because Judaism taught that Christ was at the center of creation, that God was, right? And we said, hey, Jesus is. And they had become followers of God. They said, yes, Jesus did create the earth, but if he created the earth, this is a problem because he touched matter, He was near matter. He was close to matter. And so he's um, kind of a problem in this. And so they concluded that Jesus was a God, not the God. Just one of them. And what had happened is the God had created other gods. Who had created other gods? Who had created other gods? Who had created other gods? Other gods, and now there were all of these intermediaries between mankind and God. And when Jesus created the earth, God was so distant from him that he was not contaminated by all this matter that was created. He was still pure, he was still good. But those close to it now had a problem, which raises the question because Paul said, The way for you. To get to God was through Jesus. You accept what he did for you. You choose to follow him. You accept his forgiveness. And you're made right with God. But how are you made right with a God who's distant? And they said, yes, you do have to go through Jesus. You start there. You go through Jesus, and then you figure out who made Jesus, and then you go through them and then you go through them, and then you go through them, and you go through all of these intermediaries until you finally get the chance to actually reach God at some point. Well, how do you go through those? They said it was a special knowledge that you had to acquire that would allow you to have special passwords that would allow you to move to the next level. Luckily for you, they knew this knowledge. And for four easy payments of $9.99. No, I'm sure, it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't that, but I'm sure it was part of that. Like this, what salvation became was intellectual assent. You were smart enough. You had figured out enough to know the right kind of knowledge so that you could get the right password so that you could move on to the next layer of God. Now, this seems odd, Like, when you understand what Paul taught and how simple it was, it would be odd that a group of people would come along and say, is this good? Am I going to take this in? You would think they wouldn't be convinced by it, but that's not the case. Paul finds that this little church is engulfed in this controversy, and they're buying into this. They're buying into this belief, and it's causing fractures amongst them. So Paul decides to write to them directly, and he wants to clear some things up. Now keep these things in the back of your mind as we start to read what Paul is to say. He opens up Colossians 1 through 14 with kind of introductions opening, that sort of thing. And then he gets to verse 15, and he gets going. He says, "...the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation." Now I I want to address the firstborn over all creation uh, right out of the gate because for a lot of people it's tripped them up over the years and it's not even the most important part of this verse. But a lot of people have looked at this and thought Jesus is the firstborn, he's the first thing that God created. That is not what this scripture is about. Their culture had a completely different understanding about what the firstborn was. The firstborn in their culture came with honor. He came with authority and he came with responsibility. All of that just because you were born first. And so this scripture is is helping you understand that when it comes to all of creation, Jesus is honored above all else, holds authority above all of it, has responsibility for all of it. That's what he's saying there. But I want you to see what he says at the front part of this verse. This is so important. The son is the image of the invisible God. The word image there is icon. And by Paul choosing to use it, he actually does something really brilliant here. Because the word icon um, is used in both the Jewish and Greek setting, but they're different. In the Jewish setting, the word icon was actually used in the Song of Solomon's to describe the wisdom of God. And uh, they believed that if I could understand the wisdom of God, I would understand the character of God. I would be able to know God. And so um, Paul is saying, look, Jesus is this icon. He is the full embodiment of God's wisdom. If you want to know God, you can, you can get a hold of your, his wisdom based on you connecting with Jesus. You can do that. In the Greek world, they use the word icon to mean Portrait. It's kind of interesting to me. If you had an IOU in the Greek world, they would write out the sum of money that you owed, and then they would write an icon attached to it. And what they would do is they would write down your characteristics, they would write down what you look like, and any distinguishing features that you might have. So if the IOU was due, they could say, oh no, it's definitely you. This describes exactly who you are, I know you're the one who owes the money. You couldn't say, no, it was a different John Doe. No, no, I've got your icon as a part of this right here. And so he was saying to that group of people, listen, I know you care about philosophies. I know you care about knowing stuff. But if you want to know God, I want you to understand that the perfect portrait is found right here. It's in Jesus. Now listen, does there sound like there's distance between God and Jesus at this point, scriptures would make the case that they're one. There's, there's no radical distance between them. And in fact, Paul says, listen, if you want to know who God is, you'll understand that he is my perfect portrait. He is my perfect wisdom. He's me. Right here for you to see, right here for you to experience, So Paul starts off like that, but he keeps going. And each kind of layer is dealing with this belief system that's in place. He says in verse 16, For in him, in Jesus, all things were created. Is that a problem? Well, it's a problem if you're a Gnostic, because they believed if Jesus created it, if he touched it, Then he had problems. He was too close to it. And Paul says he absolutely touched it in light of the fact that he's the image of God. So these these things are not separated. So this would have been challenging for them. The verse goes on to say, he created visible, invisible powers, you name it. He was involved with it. He was at the center of all of this. Paul's saying, oh, you got it right, he was the creator, but he was the ultimate, not some intermediary, not some down the road kind of creator. Verse 18, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. By the way, it's a great Great description to describe us as a group, a body. Each part has its little differences. We all work together to do one thing. But Paul has a bigger issue here when he says the church is a body. What is he addressing? The belief that anything of matter was evil. And he was saying, listen, I want you to understand I'm setting up my presence here on earth through a thing that I'm going to create that's physical the church, and I'm a part of that. In fact, I'm the leader of that. If you want to believe the body is evil, you're going to have a hard time because I'm activating a body to do what's right in this world. I'm leading it. It's right there. So he just keeps challenging all of this. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him. Going right back at it, right? Is there distance if the fullness of God dwells in you. No. Stay with me. We're almost, we'll yeah, look at one more that's really important, then we're going to find a way to tie this all together. Verse 22, I love this. But now he, he's talking about God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Listen, church, this is what Paul's saying. What I told you about my work in Jesus to bring you freedom from accusation is true. But he includes a couple words in here that didn't need to be said, but he said it on purpose. Did you see him? He said, by Christ's physical body. Why did he say that? Because he wants the church to understand and know That when Jesus walked down the beach with his disciples, he did leave tracks. When they hung him on the cross, he felt pain. He bled. He felt the thorns. He felt the mockery and spitting as people um, insulted him. This was something real that he was engaged with. He had a body. So Paul makes all of these cases, which which again, you, you might be wondering, why are we doing this? Why have we spent so much time on this? Because what Paul just did for us starts to answer the question of what was the nature of Jesus? What was the purpose for him coming in the first place? And if you're paying attention at all to what Paul was saying, and especially in light of what all of these people had said was true instead, Paul is making the case that God was attempting to get close, which is odd, which is odd. Because sometimes when we think about how we relate to God, we think that God has some sort of disdain for us. We we look at our failures We look at the stuff that we're wrestling with still. We look at the stuff that challenges our lives. And we think, man, so much junk has happened. There's no way God would want to be near me. There's no way God would want to have anything to do with me. And without even thinking about it deeply, we put ourselves in the same place as the Gnostics do. We have God who's far, far distant from us, who doesn't want to have anything to do with us, because of how messed up we are. And the opposite was true. You see, God chose to come as a baby and get as close as he could so that he would be cuddled, no exaggeration, that he would be held, that he would live his life in a family, That he would walk along the side people. That he would get what they were going through. That he would know you, know my story. Because he had a desire to be close. Why? Because there's no sin? Oh no, there was. Does he not like sin? Hates it. But that's what compelled him to step towards you in the first place see the Gnostic said the physical body is the problem and, and the real problem was that there was a distance between us and God and he's the one who solved it he's the one who came to us he's the one that approached and stepped into our world and said I want to be close to you and I I get it We're, we're in a busy season of life right now for a lot of good reasons parties to plan family to hang out with, you want to buy the best gift you have all of this stuff going on but sometimes in the midst of that you can look around and you can see a lot of people who seem to be at joy and seem to have a sense of peace and you don't And you're frustrated by that. You don't have what they have. You wish you understood it. And the thought crosses your mind that maybe this is about how messed up I am and maybe God doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Can I just tell you, you are so far off on that. You are so loved that God Almighty came close to you, wanted to get so close to mankind that he would walk, teach, grow, share life with us. And he has that kind of intention with you now. And you may find yourself in this place where you're so frustrated by your situation and maybe maybe the stuff that you've done But don't miss this. Any moment that you want it, he is there to be with you. He wants closeness because of his deep love for you. It is his nature. And it's why, it's one of the reasons that he came as a baby to leave no doubt. I want to get so close as to be a part of what you're doing. He loves you that much. Can we pray? God, there, um, there is so much to celebrate. The fact that you came as a baby, it is incredible. It's crazy, it's wonderful. But at the heart of that was a desire to get close to us, to know us. God, at the heart of that was a desire for us to know you. And so you took on the perfect image. You carry God's wisdom. And it's available. If we would just open ourselves up to the closeness that you want, it's available for us right now. So God, I just ask as people sometimes wrestle with the shame in their lives, they wrestle with some of the choices they've made and they wonder, they wonder about this distance that happens between you and them. I ask you to help them understand that your desire is to be near, your desire is to be close. And as they hear Christmas songs, as they see people talking about Christmas, I ask that you would bring to their mind that what's at the heart of this is a God who desired to be close to us, not distance, no separation, no intermediaries. You, up close, personal, touching your creation. God, will you touch those who need it now? In Jesus' name, amen.